0: Take your Bibles again to 2 Peter chapter 3 and also to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, a little, a little different, a little different this morning. Brother Tyler, I'm not going to get, or Brother Shannon, I'm not going to get to uh, the day star in our heart. The Lord took me a different way this morning. Um, but uh, I hope that today will be a blessing to the Lord. We can lift Him up uh, this morning, twice we can lift Him up. Numbers 21. So 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 9 here in a moment. We're going we're to read Numbers 21 first, uh, sort of by way of an introduction. And you might remember the story if you're, if you're already there. But the people of Israel, they, they began to murmur against uh, God and they began to murmur against Moses. Y'all, uh, and God sent fiery serpents. Y'all know the story there. God sent fiery serpents uh, among them to bite them. For their blasphemies against God. And because of this chastisement from God, the people repented and they begged Moses and they begged God. Really, God through Moses. Moses, pray to God. Pray to God that he would send some kind of relief. And God, uh, I mean, let's be honest. He responds. He answers in an unusual way. In an unusual way. And if you look at verses 7 and 8. Uh, The Bible says, The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And then look at verse 9 the Bible says that Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a people uh, upon a pole and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass he lived he lived. Now Let's just go ahead and open in a word of prayer and see what the Lord has for us uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this, for this morning. We thank you for this early service, Lord, that we can gathering, uh, gather together in your name, Lord, your saints, your children, Lord, your redeemed people, and Lord, and help us to understand what you have for us today. Help us to worship you in truth and spirit, as, as Tyler's already mentioned this morning, Lord. We need you, Lord. Lord, I need you this morning. And help us to, help us to bring glory to you, Lord. Accept our praise as, as, as often as requested, Lord, in spite of who we are. And, Lord, and help us to focus on you. Lord, we thank you for the position that you've given us in Christ. Help us to reflect that position with our practice. And, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you help us to also ignore uh, all of the things that are going on in the world right now. And ignore maybe the agendas, even, even the things that are surrounding the ministry this morning. And help us to completely focus on you, the Lord Jesus Christ and make you high and lifted up in our hearts. Lord, we need you this morning. I pray for those that are here this morning. I lift them up to you. I lift us all up to you, Lord. Help us to have a ready heart and a prepared heart. And Lord, and be with those who cannot be here, Lord, and, and maybe those who will be here later on uh, uh, who are not here now, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you be with them and encourage them, prick their hearts even this very moment, Lord, to be right with you. And Lord, and we thank you and we ask that you visit with us this morning here in this service. Right this very moment, Lord, I know that we can never get this time back and help us to use this time wisely as we worship the Son of God, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In His precious and holy name we pray. Amen. 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 So if you remember, we just read here in Second or Numbers chapter 21 how God sent these fiery serpents. He sent them to... Uh, really kind of a punishment to them. But God always has a purpose. God always has a purpose. And he was using this purpose to bring them uh, to him, to bring repentance among them. And doesn't God still do that today sometimes? He brings repentance to us as we, as we kind of go forward. And Je- Jesus would later use this example as a typology of himself later on, being lifted up on a pole or on a cross, if you will. Uh, and whosoever shall look to him... Shall be saved. Whosoever shall look for him to him for salvation, shall live. Whosoever the Israelites, who were dying because of the venom of the serpent, could look to the brazen serpent and they would receive physical life. And whosoever of the entire world, even today, who are dying because of the venom of sin, can look to Jesus and receive eternal life. Look and live. And this, by incident, is the title of our message this morning, look, And live. And you might wonder, what in the world does that have to do with 2 Peter chapter 3, but we'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, But for now, I want to point out that Jesus, uh, the payment that he made by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary was for every single person, every man, every boy and girl, every man and woman, no matter where we're from, no matter where we're going or where we're coming from, God died in the person of his Son on that cross for you and for me. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus Himself, again in John chapter 12, verse 32, says, As I, speaking of the cross, if I be lifted up from the earth, really a picture of that serpent again, I will draw all men unto me. That word all men is pos in the Greek. It means all. I have a pastor back in States. All means all. And that's all, all means. It means all people. So again, if you're here this morning without Christ, if you're here without forgiveness and the present possession of eternal life, you don't have to leave that way because Christ died for you. You can leave with the person of Jesus Christ in your heart. You can leave with Jesus with you and as a new creation in Christ with, get this, an eternally clean slate. You know i used to tell the kids i taught junior high right and i told them that when you leave the sixth grade and you go to the seventh grade or when you leave junior high and go to the high school it's like a new slate you know when you go into ninth grade everything you did from kindergarten to one through eight don't matter anymore because these are the grades that matter these last four years get your your 3.8 or your 4.0 so you have a clean slate but with christ you have an eternally clean slate it's all forgiven. When we ask God for forgiveness in 1 John 1, 1.9, when He says, if you, if, you, um, if, you, if you confess your sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's not that we can have a pure heart positionally. It's so that we have a pure heart practically. That we can have a great relationship, a great fellowship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you accept Christ here today, you are a new creation. And your hope goes beyond the grave. Beyond the grave. What else do you have in your life that goes beyond the grave? Nothing. Not 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 even one thing. But it doesn't mean that you will leave here without problems or even without struggles with sin, but that they are forgiven. That's that's awesome. Forgiven sin and the presence of almighty God within you. Almighty God living in us. Why we just, we forget that sometimes, I think. We go through life and we get bogged down with a math problem at school or a flat tire. And we got Almighty God living inside of us. And what's a flat tire to God? So like the old saying goes, a friend in need is a friend indeed. And you can have a friend in Jesus who will never leave you nor forsake you. Always with you. Always with you. All you have to do is look. Look and live. Look to Jesus for eternal life. And just so we're clear, looking to Jesus means that you are turning away from self and sin and turning to Him alone for salvation. Looking to Jesus is therefore the recognition of your own wretchedness and the realization and admittance to God of your hopeless state. Realizing who He is in, in, in sight of who you are, in light of who you are. It's reaching out the best way you know how and by grace through faith. Receiving that gift of salvation. Look and live. For us believers, this looking and living doesn't stop at salvation. It actually begins at salvation. Looking to Jesus begins at salvation. Many times we, we look to Jesus for salvation and then we look everywhere else. During our sanctification process. But it doesn't work that way. It begins at salvation. We are constantly to look to Jesus and live in a way to honor Him. You know, it's... Maybe it's too simple this morning, but it really is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus. He is our creator, our savior, our redeemer. He is our everything, our everything. So many, many times all of our struggles, if not many of our struggles, if not all of them today, are truly because we lose sight of him. We lose sight of him. You know, and and land navigation in the army, they have this thing called dead reckoning, and it works very well only in the desert, probably. You know, because if you do it in the woods, you know, what are you going dead reckon 12 feet? I mean, whatever. So we got the desert. You have this. This. I remember. Uh, I remember out in uh, what's the place in Fort uh, Fort Irwin, Uh Mount Tifer right there. You got the top of Mount Tifer, and you're gonna you're gonna look at that. I mean, that's a big, broad, general direction, but you know you're generally walking. I guess it's. I guess it's east if you're on that side. I forget, I forget the directions there. But you're, never, you're always going to be walking east. But if we put Christ in our life and always look to Him, you know, it's, it's kind of easy not to make the wrong exits. Because we're always headed toward Him. And again, we lose rightful sight. A rightful, uh, he loses His rightful place in our King. when we, As our King, when we live other ways, we must look to Jesus in everything we do. You know, There are blessings in this life that make us exit there are storms in this life that make us exit we must stay fixed on him regardless of everything you know as a as a preacher sometimes they come to you it's like great message or or bad message right (laughs) and we have to give both of those to god right it's it's you hear quite a lot from a lot of preachers when when god says you you praise the god praise the lord but we have to give him our incompetencies as well Because we can't handle them. We must give them all to Him and keep looking to Him. Give Him the blessings. Give Him the storms. Give Him all your life and stay fixed on Him. Stay fixed on Jesus. And with the idea of looking, I want to look at our text this morning in 2 Peter. Maybe you're thinking, finally, He he got through our text here this morning. But look at verse number 9. Verse number 9. The Lord The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Praise the Lord. I'm part of that verse. But that the the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness?" looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Verse 14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you as "...as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of the things which, in which are some things hard to understand, uh, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace." And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So in, a, in an effort here, in a moment, to co- connect Numbers 21 to Second Peter chapter 3, in a way that honors God, in a way that respects the text, I want you to notice something here. Look at verse number 11. Verse number 11 says, Seeing then... Verse number 12 says, looking for. Verse number 13 says, nevertheless we according to His promise, look for. Verse 14 says, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look. Verse 17 says, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things. In other words, there's a lot of looking in these verses. There's a lot of looking to Jesus in these verses. In fact, as we just read, we read seven uses of the word seeing, at least in, in the King James Bible here. But five of those are the same word in the Greek. Five of those are the same word in the Greek. And it means just, and even the other two have this, this mindset of conveying to pay attention, to look to something, to perceive something about what Peter is writing about. And as we've been studying about Peter's second epistle, I hope you've been along with me. I hope you've been diving in with me. But we've been reminded of a few things. As a matter of fact, the last two weeks were reminders, you know, part one and part two. And you really could go... You really could make a lesson or a sermon in the entire New Testament and just name it Reminders. And you'd be in there for a year because it's all a lot of reminders. Paul uses Reminders. Peter uses Reminders. And we've been looking at those reminders. So in the spirit of reminding, uh, Peter continues to tell us some very important truths today. God is going to use Peter's text and the the sermon here to remind us, to, to tell us, Of Some important truths, even some imperatives, even a command, if you will, about how to live and look, how to look and live, how to live while looking. You know, in every usage of the word that Peter uses to convey looking, he points to some aspect of the return of Christ. All five of them, if not all seven of those, he uses those words and he's pointing to the aspect, some aspect of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this guidance for living in this, in this time, it's almost like we're living in the shadow of the second coming. Where the Old Testament was living in the shadow of the cross, we were living in the shadow of the second coming. But he gives us some guidance for living here, four truths, if you will, uh, to live by. Uh, and again, if you recall, when we began our study of 2 Peter, the overarching, the overarching theme that, that you can probably get a handful of themes from 2 Peter, but the overarching theme that I chose is found in verse 18 right there of chapter 3. It says, but grow in grace. But grow in grace. Now, I know that conjunction but is, 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 is applied to just a handful of verses before it, but I think you can apply it to the entire epistle, the epistle, the entire letter All these things, Peter says, but I want you to grow in grace. I want you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in an effort to grow in grace, let us look and take heed to four imperatives that God led Peter to write down. Notice first this morning, verse 11. It says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Look at this question or, or this statement. What manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation than God. What manner of person should you be? If God's coming back, what manner of person should we be? I think we should have a holy demeanor. We should have a holy demeanor. You know, look at verse 9 again. Verse 9 says, we've read that, it's our memory verse for this month. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise, but He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. But really it's just the Lord's rebuttal to Him being accused of not keeping His promise. They accuse him. Where's the promise of his coming? And Jesus says, well, I'm coming back. God says, I'm coming back because I'm not slack concerning my promises. It's like some are saying the Lord's not coming back. And the Lord says, oh, yes, I am. I am coming back. And Peter's summary here of the Lord's return is about the big picture of the second coming. In other words, as Paul wrote in, I say big picture because there's the rapture. There is the return of Christ. There's Armageddon. There's there's the millennial reign. All that's together. and, And he's just putting it all in one big verse right there. But you know from 1 Thessalonians 1.10 that Jesus says, that Jesus has rather, delivered us from the wrath to come. So there's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a taking away of us believers before judgment falls on this earth. But let me just put it all like Peter puts it here in one just one verse here. When it's all said and done, this earth and everything in it is going to be gone. It's going to be gone. Verse 10 says, The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Think of Peter's thoughts when he was writing these things. The heavens shall pass away. The heavens, the earth is gonna go away. Many scientists today, there's actually a lot of ink spilt on trying to define what this means, and we really have no idea. There's some good ideas, I guess. But this is God telling us he's gonna destroy everything here. But many scientists attribute this destruction to something that really we can only explain as some sort of nuclear fallout, some sort of worldwide nuclear fallout. I did a study for about an hour because it's very interesting between fusion and fission and all those things. You know, the hydrogen bomb they dropped in 1961 was 4,000 times the amount of energy we dropped on Hiroshima. 4,000 times the power. That's a lot of energy. That's nothing compared to what God's going to do. But I want you to pay attention. We don't want to focus too much on that. But I want, I want to look at a phrase there. It says that the works, the works that are therein shall be burned up. The works shall be burned up. So much like the aftermath of a hydrogen bomb, nothing is going to remain when God is done with this earth. He will build a new earth. But think of it. So think of it this way. What kind of aspect, what kind of perspective do we look at this? This is, this is what I think the Lord gave me when we are individually standing before a holy God as a Christian. And we're standing there. Remember, we're going to be judged by our works. We're not judging on whether we're saved or not. God Christ paid that price. We're going to go in because of the cross. But we're going to be standing there and God's going to say, show me your works. We will have nothing to point at this world because it won't be there. We say, well, look at what I built. Look what I did here. Look, my face is on Mount Rushmore. Gone. My face is on the picture of Time Magazine. Gone. It's all going to be gone. We will have nothing but what we did for Christ when we stand before a holy God. All of these things will be burned up. And I think what what Peter is trying to tell us here is really echoing the Lord's words. Don't build up for yourselves here treasures where moth and rust doth corrupt. They're going to fall apart. They're going to fall apart. Do things for the Lord. He says, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy, in all holy conversation and godliness? You know, knowing, I think realizing and really getting a hold of knowing that every tangible possession that we have or leave behind, whether, whether or not, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, it's going to be gone. And knowing that what Peter says, knowing that it's all going on, what manner of person are you to be now? I mean, think about that. If, I, if my whole life is focused around technology, when technology is gone, what am I going to focus my life on then? It's going to be too late, by the way. If my whole life is focused on anything other than Christ, because in the end, only Christ is going to be there. And who he deems necessary to be there with him or, or allowed him to go in there with him. At the end of the day, stuff is just stuff. A job is just a job. A car is just a car. A money is just money. And we can go on and on down that list. I'm not saying these things are not necessary in our lives, but if they take precedence over our walk with law, if they're in the way of our vision pointing to Christ, they're in the wrong place. They're in the wrong place. Because none of those things that we allow to get in our looking to Christ are going to be there between us and Christ at the end. It's just going to be you standing before a holy God. You know, on one hand, we we should have a holy demeanor because if we truly believe, if we truly have a good understanding of what Christ did for us on the cross, then it shouldn't take begging or persuading for us to be all in for God. It It shouldn't take the wooing that God's always telling us. It's the cross. But on the other hand, if every soul was worth the cross to Christ... Should those souls be worth to us? Yes, we according to His promise we look for a new heavens. We look for a new earth. We look for the Christ of the second coming because therein dwells righteousness. But you know on a different side of that coin if we live a holy demeanor in Christ we will also be a testimony to others. Others that are not here right now. Others that are out in the world of what Christ has done for us and what He has done for them and what He can do for them. It really boils down to the fact that there is much in Jesus to live for. There is much in Jesus to live for. Many reasons to live a manner of holy conversation and godliness before God and man. And part of living in holy conversation and godliness is being diligent. Look at verse 14 as we go to our second point here. He says, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So number two, we should be diligent in our duty. In our duty, we should be diligent in the things that God asks us to do. Peter says, All these things are going to go away, all the all, all these things shall be dissolved. Our manner of behavior should be holy and godly. That's what he first says. And now he writes that because we who believe, because we look for Christ, we should be diligent in our duty to live for Christ. I think he's trying to say here, we should put forth a lot of effort. In ourselves, now I know, it's, I know it's God living through us, but let me just put it this way. We should give a lot of effort in surrendering ourselves in every aspect of our life. My daughter asked me one time, she's in a nursery right now, she asked me, she was using somebody else for an example, how do I get her walk with the Lord? It's been a few years since she asked me that. How do I get her walk? Cause She's walking with the Lord, and that's attractive, and I want it. I said, surrender every part of your life. Every aspect of your life. And look to the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't have, He shouldn't have to woo us and beg us to do it. We should just do it. We should put forth effort to live right, to surrender all. I surrender all. But I want you to see something here wherefore, that word wherefore, right there in verse number 14, it connects our diligence to a longing for. It connects our diligence to a longing for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know, as Christians, I think I'm kind of hitting this over and over again, but we shouldn't get too attached to the things of this world because none of these things are going to go with us. Remember, they're going to be burned up. But second, righteousness, not sin, righteousness dwells in the new heaven and the new earth. Righteousness. So the first point that, that, that Peter is saying here of living holy was because this old earth is not going to last and we should live only for the things that will last. Right, it's kind of almost in the negative. But now we have the second point, it's in the positive. Because only righteousness dwells within the new heaven and new earth, we should be diligent in our duty to live, to live holy and godly. Okay, all this stuff is going to go away, you need to live right. But the new stuff is righteous and godly and perfect, you need to live right. It's the same coin, but two different motivators. On one side, he is saying, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and dust, dust corrupt. And on the other side, he is saying, lay up for your treasures in heaven where dwelleth righteousness. It's like Peter is almost taking for granted here the presence of righteousness in heaven as a good enough motivator for us to live right on this earth. Does that make sense? He's almost taking it. He's putting it out there like, well, No kidding. There's righteousness there. Shouldn't that be a motivator to hear? But he's not even begging the, the question. He's not even trying to convince us. He's just taking it for granted. It's, God's in heaven. Live right here. Live right. It's a great motivator. And quite frankly, it should be our only motivator that Christ died for us, that He is righteous and, and good and all those things that really we don't have an idea of because they are more than we can grasp. He's holy. He's holy. And then in context we see the way to live right, the way to be diligent in duty is to be found without spot. Wow. Without spot. To be found blameless. Now this isn't speaking about getting saved. God took care of that on the cross. This is about practical holiness. A Christian's life ought to be spotless and blameless. Now I'm not here, I talked. To, I said it in the beginning of 2 Peter, there was a lot of Negativity, some negative preaching, if you will, from Second Peter. I am not a fan of negative preaching. I like airing on the positive because we have a, we have victory in Jesus and you know, all the things that we got here. But we can't ignore the text here. It's about practical holiness, and God says that we should be spotless and blameless. Now we know that we can't do that. Who here's perfect? We can't do it. We know that we're not perfect. And I'm afraid that we allow the knowledge of our own imperfections to lead us to practical imperfection. I hope that sinks in. We allow our, well, I can't get to it anyway, to not even try. I mean, really, if you think about it, if, if it's impossible, why well, try? That's, that's, a, that's an honest, worldly approach to anything, right? If I'm going to race, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to do a 100-meter dash. But who's the fastest guy in the world right now that runs? Anybody follow in track or anything like that? Who's somebody in the past? That guy, right? So I'm I'm in the line with him and I'm going to run. I'm not going to beat that guy. Just not in a million years I'm going to beat that guy. So why race? Why even try? Why? Why should we put forth so much effort into something that we will never attain in this life? That being perfection. Well, the answer is quite simple. God says, be holy. God says, be holy. Be holy, for I am holy. And if I were honest with myself before you, all of us, including me, I need to put more effort in being holy and being surrendered to God. And it's not about how much holiness we can achieve. Again, God took care of that on the cross. It's about living moment by moment for Jesus Christ. Moment by moment. Moment by moment. We must be diligent in our service to Christ. We must be diligent to be found without spot and blameless. Listen, I've said this a number of times. We don't live wholly on accident, it takes purpose. You didn't come to church today on accident. You didn't like break down in front of the road. Wow, look at us at church. I'm got God could do that. No, no, no. None of y'all broke down this morning, right? So, but God can use those kind of things. But you came here on purpose. You ate breakfast or didn't eat breakfast on purpose. You drank 37 cups of coffee this morning on purpose or, or by accident. But whatever, you do things on purpose. And living for God is something that must be done on purpose. We can't do it on accident. We must be diligent in our service to God. And remember, the whole, the whole premise here of, of this chapter here is in the shadow of the second coming. Peter puts a strong emphasis on in chapter 2 and chapter 3 looking to that second coming of Christ. But I want to point out that while the events of the second coming may serve as great motivators, it's not the events we're looking for. Right? It's not the events we're focused on. I had a preacher one time, I heard a message from a preacher one time, he said that we get up and we preach second coming like there's no tomorrow. No pun intended. (laughs) But we missed the Christ of the Second Coming. We're not commanded to preach the Second Coming only as it follows the the whole counsel of the Word of God. But we are commanded to preach Christ. Because He is, there is no Second Coming without Christ. We must preach Christ. We are looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Just like they looked at the serpent and they found healing, we look to Jesus for salvation. We look to Jesus for sanctification. We look to Jesus for sustainment. We can on and on down that list. We must look to Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, He is the author and finisher of our faith, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher. And the only way that we're going to have a holy demeanor before God. The only way we can truly be diligent in duty is by looking to Jesus. We must look to Him for all our needs. Because not only is is He our wonderful and precious Savior, He is our greatest resource. He's our greatest resource for righteous living. Look to Him, look to Him. Look to Him and be excited about His return. Live in a way that pleases your Savior He's coming back. I hope that's exciting to you as it is on the inside for me. He's coming back. It may seem like a million years away sometimes. I mean, I remember my last year in the Army. Man, that was the longest year. <gasps> I'm like, man, is this ever going to get a DD-214? Right, Mike? It takes forever to get those last few years done. But then it came. And sometimes we might seem the same way when we're, we're living our Christian life. It seems like forever before God's coming back. We see some things on the prophetic calendar we think taking place. And on one hand, it's scary. And on the other hand, it's kind of motivating. But He is coming back. He will keep His promises. One such promise is Romans 10:13. It says, for whosoever shall call the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. In 2 Peter 3, verse 15, says that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. I take that to mean that God is waiting for that last whosoever will. He's waiting for the last whosoever will. So there's still time. If you are not the whosoever will yet, you can be. Your neighbors can be. Your, your, your spouse can be, your loved one can be, your mom, my mother-in-law, has not trusted Christ, my the, the man she's married to has not trusted Christ. There's still time. There's still time. God is waiting for that last whosoever. But while we are waiting, we must look to Jesus. And one place you can always find Jesus, where is one place you can always find Jesus? Right there in the book, in your hearts. But Peter, he says the book. <laughs> Also in our hearts, of course, you can find them in church, you can find them in creation, we can go on and on down that list. But right here in context, verse 15 says, "An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, uh, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, uh, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest." As they do, also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Uh, own destruction. So Peter gives us a warning about the scriptures, and and in our context here, we can we know we can look to, look to the scriptures and find Jesus. But in those scriptures, we have a warning. I mean, Peter's words are even scriptures themselves. So our next imperative this morning is an obvious inference from the from the text here, and that's to discern the scriptures. We must discern the scriptures. Remember, Second Peter is not. Written to the lost. It's written to us. Peter is simply saying about Paul here that Paul really got into the weeds about some things. He really got a little behind the curtain. He opened the hood of theology, if you will, and started tinkering around in there. Say, look, here's the carpenter and here's the fuel line and all these things. Paul really got, God used Paul to convey some deep theology. And while some of his writings were difficult to understand, I do not think this text says that we cannot understand them. It just means we need to discern them we need better at understanding them. And I think Peter's point here is twofold. Christians, you and I, must discern the scriptures correctly for our own growth. And we must discern the scriptures correctly for our own safety. For our own safety. And just as a side note here, Peter could... He could be referring to Paul's letters to the Thessalonians because he's returning, referring to the return of Christ here. But I think it's significant that he wrote that all his epistles. Because in the timeline, only 2 Timothy, and that's a maybe, is the only one that wouldn't be written. All of Paul's epistles would have been written by the time 2 Peter wrote this. And Peter calls them scriptures. You know, the main thrust Of this verse verse is not to validate Paul's writings, although I believe it does, but to convey the fact that we must be students of the book. We must be discerners of Scripture. Why? Look at this passage again. Because those who are unlearned and unstable, they're going to twist the Scriptures to their liking and in a way that makes sense to their own agenda and lead believers away. Let me get that now. So they're going to use Scripture... And they're going to explain, they're going to exposit Scripture in a way that makes sense to them and not to God and lead you away from the God of the Scriptures. How do we, how do we, get a, how do we fight that? Well, we, we must know the book. We must know the book. You know, context is king. We talked about that before, you know, that, that passage in Psalm 14.1. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, just take out the last phrase of that. The Bible says there is no God. Right? That's completely out of context. Because right before that says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So that's the importance of context. And that's a simplified version or explanation there. But we must understand that. And we must, be, we must discern the Scriptures to understand where we are leading. And it is the Holy Spirit of God that's leading us. Remember these false teachers. Look back at uh, chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of their coming, uh, of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant. So these false teachers are going to be willingly ignorant. I had a professor in college, forgive me if this offends anybody, he said, They are stupid on purpose. They don't want the knowledge. They want to stay in the dark. And they want more people to come in the dark with them. And they're even going to dupe believers into following their pernicious ways. In writing of these false teachers, again in verse 14 of chapter 2, the Bible says, Peter writes, They have eyes full of adultery. Look at that. I want you to see that. Verse 14 of chapter 2. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. They can't stop sinning. And what do they do? They beguile Unstable souls. They beguile unstable souls. You know, that Greek word used for unstable is only used twice in the entire New Testament. Two times. In the entire once, right there in verse 14, and then in verse 16 of chapter 3, both in the same chapter, both by Peter. And it means just like it sounds: it means unstable. It means shaky, like a poor-built table or a poor-built chair that doesn't really work all that well. It's poorly designed unstable. And again, verse 16 states, states in verse chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 16, they that are unlearned and unstable, they rest, they struggle, they twist, as they do also the other Scriptures unto their own destruction. That word rest means to twist or even pervert. Pervert the Scriptures. Unlearned and unstable men are going to to pervert the Word of God. Do we see that today? Absolutely we see this today. We must be very careful. So what's our, what's our takeaway? If we don't know or discern the Scriptures properly, we are going to be led away with the twisting of Scriptures because we ourselves will have unstable souls because we didn't learn the Scriptures. How can we know the truth if we're not in the truth? Right? You know, I think I used this before, you know, if Shannon were to come up and Shannon would never do this, but if he told me a lie. But the subject that he was talking about, I knew the truth. And he told me 2 plus 2 equals 5. I'm like, I don't think so. How do I, how do I, how do I know he's wrong? Because I know the truth. What's that? Coming for me <laughs> I'll refrain from my comments. <laughs> how do we know that's true, right? Because 2 plus 2 does equal 4. But we know it's true because we know the truth. Or we know it's false because we know... The same thing when we hear people talk, you know, there's been times when when people are teaching or I hear somebody talking, even in this church, unfortunately, I've heard, you know, not here recently, but, you know, down in the fellowship hall, when we did potlucks, you know, before COVID, you know, and you hear some conversations going on, I'm like, and you hear it and you really can't put your, your, um, your finger on a verse, maybe, and they say something about your Savior and they say something about God. Maybe it's more common in the workplace and you know that it's wrong. Another example, so my wife loves chocolate, right? Who doesn't love chocolate, right? So if I heard somebody, yeah, I was with your wife the other day and you know, they gave her chocolate and she just threw it in the trash and blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm already not going to be believing everything else they told me about her, because she doesn't throw chocolate in the trash. She'll take it home if she doesn't eat it. But you know what I'm saying? So I know her, and I know what she likes. If we know God, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to know the things that go against the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to know the things that go against the Word of God. And we won't won't be led away by the twisting of Scriptures. This is dangerous. Peter is saying they're going to use the actual words of God and make them mean something else. They're going to use the word Jesus... And make him not be the son of God. That's just an example. I mean, you can go on and on and on. But when we are led away, when we have unstable souls, it's not just going to affect our theology. It's going to affect everything. It's going to affect our entire life, our entire outlook. It will affect your choices. It will affect your choice of friends. It will affect your spouses. It, spouse. It will, it will reflect your ideology. <laughs> it will affect even which church you decide to go to or if you, whether or not you go to church. It will affect what books you read. It will affect everything about you. It will even affect who you vote for. Don't be duped. Know the book. Know the book. Now, we don't really talk a lot about politics here, but when you vote, vote for someone that lines up with this book. Vote for a platform. Vote for a platform. If they go against this book, doesn't go with me. We had a conversation yesterday about a certain individual that, want, that thought about joining a certain organization. But that certain organization goes against the book. So what do we do? We don't join that organization. That's follow, don't be duped. Follow the book. It will affect everything that you do. And what's the final outcome for those who prefer the scriptures? Look at verse 16 again. All his epistles speaking unto them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction, unto their own destruction. But remember, we are believers and we don't have to be led away. When we get led away, we do so because we're willingly ignorant. We must stay the course Stay the course. If there's ever a time in our lifetime where we need Christians, real, true, genuine, authentic Christians to stay the course, it's now. It's now. But our hope in staying the course, of course, is not found in a gut feeling. It's not found in man's logic. It's certainly not found in the media. No, staying the course is the direct result of discerning the scriptures of discerning the scriptures every conviction that we have every conviction that we have must be from the book it must be in us. sometimes we 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 have a strong dislike for a certain does we'll to make it simpler I do not like blue and I really like red and you'll die for the differences that's foolish right but the same thing is foolish if we take those same things that are not scripture you know there's preferences and there's convictions make sure our convictions are from the book and our preferences are just preferences. Every conviction must come from the book. Let this book guide you. I promise you, just from experience, and, and, and many of y'all can say the same thing here, there is more in this book than we ever thought. I think that we found more in 2 Peter than any of us would ever imagined. There's so much in this book. It's inexhaustible. It's God's Word. And Peter says there in verse 17, continuing on, as we kind of wind down here, he says that, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He's saying, since we know these things, and you might ask, what things? Well, the earth will end. A better earth will come. uh, People will come along, even believers who try to twist the Scriptures. Therefore, don't fall. Don't fall. Be determined to stand. Be determined to stand. He is saying, Peter is saying, let me, let me rephrase that. God is saying through Peter, through his holy word here this morning, don't be led away with the error of the wicked. Don't fall from your steadfastness. Be determined to stand. It's almost like Peter, if we were, if I was writing this, I'd be like, listen, guys, you've been warned. You know the dangers. You know what's out there. I just told you. You know what's coming. Don't fall. Don't fall. Ephesians 6:13 says take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You know as we read Peter's last words the last words Peter ever penned under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost he says don't fall. Don't fall. Don't fall for their tricks. Don't fall for their false promises. Don't fall for their false science. Don't fall for their false theologies. Don't fall. Don't fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.